This is Jonathan Gillum back in for my good buddy Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. If it's somehow in the world you don't know who I am, well, I haven't been hosting for a while. I've been doing my own thing, traveling around the country, signing books, uh, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival for all those that want to uh, learn how to protect themselves better. Uh, And it's been an honor to go around the country and see so many great Americans and get a feel for the reality of what's happening in this country. And I want to cover today two things while I open. One is the Democrat debate last night and just the absolute ridiculousness of what's going on in that debate and who these people are, Uh, the impeachment process and uh, how that unfolded. All this is basically the same thing. And I want to tell the story because everybody has been wanting to hear the whole story about what happened last Saturday uh, when I got into a bit of a tussle with some Joe Biden supporters and uh, Democratic Party uh, operatives, I guess you could call them. They've all worked for the Democrat Party at one point or another. And uh, so I'm going to talk about that as well, because it really does reflect on the reality of what is happening in this country and how at least half of it is not, and they're not just divided from conservatives or constitutionals or whatever you want to call us. They're crazy. They cannot stop themselves from pursuing people who don't feel the way that they feel. And this is what happened last Saturday. So let's start uh, with the, the, the debate from last night. I want to show you, I want to play for you a soundbite of just the opening of the show. Let's play that soundbite. And now please greet tonight's candidates. They are businessman Andrew Yang. South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. Former Vice President Joe Biden. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. Businessman Tom Steyer. Okay, so what I want to point out there is that these people are not celebrities. I mean, actually, they are celebrities, I guess you could say, because they're all about as bright as a, as as these people that <clears throat> you see uh, these internet famous people. I mean, the, here's the reality. Okay, everything that's bad in government, the majority of the people that were up there, with the exception of maybe three people. Are had parts to play in the breakdown of this country over the past 30 years. That's the first thing. The second thing is everybody up there but Buttigieg is a millionaire and or a billionaire. The reality is those people, not the people that were on the stage, the people that were clapping for them like they were some kind of superstar are exactly the problem. It's no longer just the corrupt Washington, D.C. politicians. They're always going to be there. The problem now is that they have come full circle in their indoctrination and in 
their concept of, well, it's not really a concept, it's a proven concept now, of hypnotizing these people to a point where they are blind loyalists. Folks, you never want to be blind in when you follow a politician. They will lead you straight off a cliff. And so that applauding that we heard last night, the overwhelming support of these people who throughout the entire show did not explain how they would fix anything. They said, we're going to do this or we're going to do that, or we're going to make everything happy and clean and give everybody health care. But the reality is there's no explanation how they can do it except sucking every single dollar out of your pocket that they can. And even then, History shows us that that is not a solution, that those people then end up living the high life off of that money. You don't believe me? Go look at any political pack. Now, I'm sure there's packs out there where and nonprofits are the same way. Let's put them all in the one category. Very similar. People send all their money, support the troops. They send in millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And then when you see how the people that run these packs live, it's it's sickening. When you see how the people that that run these nonprofits live, it's sickening. And when you see how these politicians who were not millionaires when they went in, or they were and they became almost billionaires while they're in, it's sickening. These types of people who start these nonprofits or these PACs under the illusion that they're going to do what's good for you are no different than the people that get into office on these fake promises saying that they are going to fix this and fix that and make your life better and pointing out the the difference in color of our skin and sexuality and gender all for their own consumption of your money so they can support the lifestyle, the lavish lifestyle that they're so used to living at the same time their addiction and their overwhelming consumption of power can be fueled. I hope you see that. I don't care if you're liberal or conservative. I personally, I personally have been supporting President Trump from the time, even before when he said, I'm thinking about getting into the presidency. Why? Because he's failed. And then he succeeded and then failed and succeeded. I measure another person off, not just off of what they've done, If that was the case, you could look at Hollywood and you would worship any of those people because they have the the shiniest careers, but they've done the least amount for humanity. You look at President Trump, and this is an individual who has done many, many unbelievable things and then failed and then came back. That's the type of person that I was looking for and I thought that the country was looking for as a leader. I think, I know. If he had been left alone to do his job without all the hindrances, his job would have been even more remarkable than it's been. He's done a remarkable job. We just don't hear about it. But listen, I don't worship Donald Trump. I I know I've met Donald Trump Jr. I think he's a great guy. I don't worship him. I don't worship any of these people because... They are in a position, not Donald Trump Jr., but Donald Trump and the rest of these people, they're in a a position to work for us. Our founding fathers put them in a position where we held the power and they were to manage the government. But like all aristocrats, they have flipped that. And Donald Trump 
God bless the man for all that he has been through in the past four years. Yes, they were trying to impeach him before he's even elected. All of this, all of it comes back down to what we saw when those people were in that crowd applauding like blind monkeys. It comes down to the fact that they have given in to the worship of politicians. And even if you're on the right, don't give in to that. Now, let me tell you a story real quick, and I'm really going to hit this home for you. Last sat- Saturday, last Saturday, I was uh, speaking for uh, a, a group of amazing women ran uh, by an amazing woman. And it was unbelievable to me that Amy Kramer, who's done so many amazing things in, in politics and around politics and put together America for a women first. It was amazing to me to go there and be a part of this, right? I've got to be a part of several other things that they've done. They had a gala, uh, for Trump supporting women and just for women in general, for women who've been a part of this, they had a silent auction. I came in there and spoke. Uh, it was a, a very fun and low key event. People got dressed up and it was nice. It was in the Willard hotel in Washington, DC. And unfortunately, unfortunately next to our ballroom was a wedding going on that was full of DNC people or former people that had worked for the DNC. And there were some high level people that were there. There were, uh, the, the wedding itself, uh, the individual who was getting married, the groom is an executive from Boeing who used to work for the DNCC. The best man worked for the Obama campaign in 2008. I could go on on through here, down and over again. And I, I, I suggest that you all go to either Breitbart or go to, uh, you go to several different places, The Blaze and uh, so on and so forth. They've all written it up. The Guardian wrote um, a story as well uh, about this, about what happened. Throughout the night, over 30 times, these individuals came into this ballroom where these women were having a very calm event and either called them MAGA trash. They're going to the bathroom, calling them MAGA trash, calling them the C word. Uh, at one point, they literally put their hand or grabbed the arm of one of the women uh, that was walking into the event and said, you should come over to this event. It's a Biden event. You don't want to go in there. That's for Trump. And she pulled her arm away and said, no, I think I'll go in here. And that person then said to her, F you, you're going to burn in hell for supporting that man. It got worse. It got worse. One of the individuals um, is a lobbyist for the Democrat Party and uh, a big attorney. I'm not talking about Antifa here. I'm talking about people who are rich, people who are white, people who are uh, aristocratic and involved in the DNC. Everything that they hate, they are. And there they were. This one individual, this guy who uh, was a or is a lobbyist and big attorney in Washington, D.C., and he's sitting right outside the door, just standing there, leaning up against a piece of furniture, eyeballing everybody that comes in and out to the point where some of the women were like, why why don't you just go away? Why do you what are you doing this? He says, "I, I paid for 10 rooms in the Willard. I can do whatever I want. 
Well, we called security. We tried to call police. Uh, we asked the hotel to call police. They didn't call the police. We had security come down. Security didn't know what to do. They just stood there. Nice guys, but they just stood there. Probably because management in most hotels don't want their security to get involved. It's all smoke and mirrors, folks. I hate to tell you that. So these things continued. At the end of the night, unfortunately, both of these groups got out at the same exact time. And myself and two other incredible men were escorting the women through this crowd so they could get out of the critical area, upstairs, go to the rooms, leave the hotel or go to the bar, whatever they want to do. I had a group of about five women. I was getting ready to escort them because we're all down below in in the ballrooms that were below and downstairs. And I start to escort them up the stairs, which are marble steps, very dangerous if you fall on them. They're not going to give. And before we even got to the steps, the alleged best man gets on the elevator and says right in front of everybody, you're not welcome on this elevator unless you are somebody who cares about your ovaries saying that they're pro-choice. So I told the women, I said, let's hold off for a second. Let them get in the elevator and go away. Let's defuse the situation. The elevator goes up. We let it go for about two minutes. We go up the stairs and there they were waiting at the top of the stairs. The alleged best man were up there and he starts in on me. He doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know that I'm a former Navy SEAL and FBI special agent. He thinks because he's drunk, I'm just another guy that he can say whatever he wants to. Well, that wasn't quite the case because not only am I trained on how and wrote the book on how to look at these situations from a tactical perspective so that I can eliminate the threat if need be. I'm also the guy who used to do operations orders for the FBI in New York City for just this type of event. So I'm looking around. I see that there's multiple people with his group. He's in my face. I know I have the women on the stairs. I'm stuck there. So the third time he came at me, I went to push him out of the way. I made the decision. There's an imminent threat uh, of serious bodily injury if these women fall. So I'm going to push him forward. And when I did, two of his buddies joined in, grabbed me, shoved me across the room. By the time I got to the other side of the room, there were, uh, I think, four guys on me. Two of them were choking me with my tie. One guy was trying to get me in a headlock. I don't know if if they hit me or not. Uh, I couldn't tell because I was bent over with these guys on top of me. And uh, then the security was trying to pull them off. At one point, I had about seven people on top of me. Lucky for me, one of the other guys that's with me pulls uh, pulls one of the guys off of me. I raise up. I did what I had to do in order to lower the threat, and I punched the best man right in the face. He got arrested. I didn't. And the moral of that story, folks... Well, besides don't mess with the seal and don't wear your tie if you're going to get in a fight. The moral of that story is the people that worship these politicians, they're exactly the same way. They won't quit. It's not Antifa anymore. It's not even the politicians. It's the people on the left. We'll talk more about this. Let's take a break. Go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. We'll be right back. This is John the Gilliman for my good buddy Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Call in number is 800 941 Sean. That's 800 941 7326. You can find him on Twitter at Sean Hannity and me at Jay Gilliam underscore seal. Go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. And now you can go get Team Little Bigs, The Adventure of Team Little Bigs, a parent's book for children. That's my new children's book. I'm going to talk about that later. But now, all you new parents, Now you got something that you can teach your kids with safety and security. We'll be right back. 
This is Jonathan the Gillum filling in for my good buddy Sean Hannity. The Sean Hannity Radio Show calling number is 800-941-SEAN, 800-941-7326. And you can find him on Twitter at Sean Hannity and find me at Jay Gilliam underscore seal. And on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, wherever else there's social media, it would be at Jonathan T. Gilliam. That's G-I-L-L-I-A-M. Now, let's I want to I don't want to switch gears. I want to stay on what we've been talking about, but I'm going to shift it a little bit because what happens when when citizens start worshiping politicians or political parties, what happens is they become blind to the changing environment of the law because ultimately they're the people who formulate the law and whether or not we're involved is what allows that law to be formulated in good or bad ways. One thing that is happening from the local level to the state and federal, the, the DOD and politics, you see it all over, is that there's a big problem with the legal system has now been systematically shifted from innocent until proven guilty to you're guilty and you should just plead out or go away. That's the way it is now. There's no let's investigate it. Let's look at the facts. So I wanted to, I, I have a friend uh, who is engaged to somebody and I'm going to let them tell you the story about how he has sat in jail for two years with no evidence of any crime whatsoever, because in Key West, the way it seems to work is that if you're, if they charge you with something, they're going to hold you until you plead out that way. They don't have to spend the money on a trial. So joining me now, a good friend of mine, Lauren Jenai, she is the co-founder of CrossFit and her fiance, Tyrone Ty Tucker. And guys, it's amazing. I'm so glad I was able to give you this platform to tell this story and show people how this ties in with all this stuff that's going on, whether it's in politics or the DOD with Eddie Gallagher, President Trump. It's the same breakdown of the legal system and our constitutional rights. So welcome both of you. Thank you, Jonathan. So I'm, I, I heard that Ty got arrested. I immediately looked into the case and saw that uh, it was apparent that he had been um, uh, named as a suspect due to association with uh, uh, another suspect who was ID'd by one of the victims. Right. Um, right from the bat, it's been a really interesting story and it's been fascinating in a terrible way to, to see how this system has been broken down here in K-West. Now, now, there's no doubt that this is a tragic story on, on all ends. Uh, there was a an individual was murdered in a robbery, um, and uh, and that's how this all came about. When law enforcement started uh, rapidly investigating this, they, they weren't pulling people and, and getting DNA and doing these things. They just where it was kind of fly by the seat of your pants. Uh, and once they got people in there, then they started manipulating this investigation for reasons that we may or may not know, but just tell people real quick um, how they manipulated this information and things like the videos and stuff and how this is what they use to keep Ty in jail for two years. Um, yeah, actually that's a, uh... There's been a lot of that that's gone on, um, you know, the, how they manipulate it. There's quite a few different ways. Um, really, they don't need much to arrest you in the first place. Uh, as Lauren said, you know, really the only reason I was arrested at all or even put as a suspect is because I happen to be white and because I happen to live in the same building, you know, with, with one of the suspects. 
um, you know, and they were looking for a white, white male. Um, you know, as far as other evidence, they didn't even send DNA in for six months, um, you know, until they got the DNA results. They came back and said, you know, I had nothing to do with it. Again, no witnesses said I had anything to do with it. But as soon as they started interrogating the other suspects, you know, they go ahead and they, 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 you know, say, okay, here, we have evidence against you, but if you say this guy did it, we're going to go ahead and help you out. Now, now I know people are going to hear you say that and they're going to say, yeah, yeah, you're right. But tell them about what happened with the video that they had. And when this all started, when those suspects said, oh yeah, yeah, he was involved. Oh yeah. No, the video has been totally manipulated. Uh, when we first got the video evidence as part of our discovery, you know, it's, it's been edited. You know, and another, you know, evidentiary video should never be edited. You right. should be always getting the full video if you're if you're getting his defense discovered. Um, you know, now it's come out that there's videos missing. Videos have been altered. Uh, you know, so, yeah, they definitely manipulate the video. And the, before uh, in the video, before it's manipulated and literally goes off or disappears for like several minutes uh, before that, the, the claims were not that you were involved. It was only after the video was manipulated that all of a sudden these other suspects said, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a well, you know, my personal favorite one is uh, uh, Rory Wilson. He's one of the suspects and Captain Phelps is interrogating him. And, you know, at one point he goes, well, if I say Ty did it, I get to go home. And then that's when the video cuts out and there's a missing three minutes of the video. So along with that, now, again, still, there's going to be people out there. They're listening to this. I'm sure we'll hear it. See on social media where they're saying, yeah, yeah, he did it or he was involved and he's just angry or he, this is just his excuse. But here's the kicker of this whole thing. Penny Phelps, who was uh, the captain that was in charge of this and the prosecutor tell them what's happened to them since this has occurred. Well, uh, the prosecutor has actually gotten herself into trouble for misconduct. Uh, she, you know, got caught defrauding the court in another case. Uh, in, in another case. Um, we make similar complaints in our case. Um, but she's been suspended by the bar for a year and she just posted a resignation from the state attorney's office. And we'll be out of the state attorney's office as of December 31st. Uh, Captain Phelps, uh, I made an IA complaint about her and actually some of the other officers in the investigation. But during the course of that, there was, you know, some of the video that was available. Um, she got in trouble for some racially motivated comments she made and directing officers to make illegal stops. And, you know, she ended up she was actually terminated yesterday, but it's been official as of today. So the, the, the lead prosecutor and the lead detective are gone. They are gone, not just gone from the case, but gone from their departments for uh, nefarious behavior, basically. That's true. So when, when we're looking at this and, and I had, you know, I went through this whole case uh, with another uh, former police officer. We went through this whole thing and we broke down all this evidence and I was literally shocked and insulted as a former law enforcement officer at the reality of how this was handled. People not being searched that could have been a suspect, DNA not being looked at, uh, people just being allowed to go free who almost obviously had something to do with it, but were never even looked at. And then the focus that they have on you and what I learned from looking at other cases, and you can speak to this because I think it speaks to all this stuff, is that in Key West – one of the things that they love to do is that once they get you in jail, for whatever reason, they just keep you there until you plead. Now, you may be innocent, 
but you're not going to get a trial. They'll just keep you there and because they'll make up a reason why you should be there and you stay there until the pressure is on you where you say, okay, I plead out. Oh yeah. That's, that's exactly the case. Um, not even just in, in my specific case. Uh, there's many people sitting in that, in that jail down there in Monroe County who they don't have evidence against. Uh, the whole idea is that if they hold you hostage long enough, they hold you in jail long enough, continuous, 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 destroy your life, you know, smear you in the media. They do all that stuff. And eventually you're going to take a plea deal. You know, uh, in my case, that's definitely the case. Uh, you know, they can't take this to trial, you know, so the, their whole idea was to leave me in that jail. Good five, six years. Let me marinate and hope I'll, hopefully I'll take a plea deal. Right. Well, they picked the wrong guy and they certainly picked the wrong fiance to mess with because Lauren, <laughs> Lauren yeah, is, that a, is definitely the case. Too. She's a CrossFit beast. And, uh, and you know, I could have used her in, in uh, Washington DC last week. Cause she's also a judo master. I guess you are jujitsu, but listen, I, I think this also speaks to the way that people should handle this when when they are confronted, you're not going to be you weren't the first. You're not going to be the last person that goes through something like this. But I think you all set the uh, the standard for how you face it. You don't back down, even in the hard times when you're scared, you keep pushing forward. So, Lauren, speak to that real quick about how you face this type of pressure from the authorities. I mean, we give them that word, the authorities, to the point where they're even trying to stop your freedom of speech from putting up certain videos now, and they had done that in the past. How do you face this? Well, I, the thing that's motivated me from day one is because I've known Ty since we were kids. We grew up together. I, I know who he is, and I could not, and we're, we're exactly the same age, grew up the same um, areas. Um, I couldn't help but put myself in his situation. What if I was in jail? And, um, you know, nobody was looking out for me and, you know, they, that I knew I was going to sit there and rot and potentially go to prison for the rest of my life. You know, how would I feel? And, you know, putting myself in his shoes gave me the perspective and strength to go, we can't let this happen. Because if it happens to one person, it can happen to hundreds, maybe thousands of other people it is happening. And um, somebody needs to take a stand. I think part of the difficulty there is it is so unbelievable. People do not believe that this kind of thing can happen. You know, when I first started telling my friends about the situation, you know, I got a lot of eye rolls and okay, and you know, this doesn't happen. Why would they set this guy up? Blah, 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 blah. And that actually just made me want to dig my heels in further because that's not how I so comfortable looking at the world. If mm -hmm. something's wrong and I have the ability to do something about it or shed light on it, that's what I have to do at all costs. And, and that's what you did. And still now that uh, Ty and everybody's probably wondering how's Ty talking. So you all won release for him and he's on house arrest, but he's in, uh, in, uh, in another location. I won't say where he is. He's, they're not in Florida now, um, but you are right. still pending a trial. Yeah. I'm still, I'm, I'm still facing first degree murder charges. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I may not be in jail anymore, but yeah, I mean, I'm still living with this, you know, with this fear of facing this, right. You know, because I mean, you know, again, they still haven't dismissed the case yet, even though they should, they still haven't dismissed the case yet. And that's, and that's kind of part of the problem right. is, the, is the prosecutor's office. 
And that's where I want to, I want to call on this sheriff down there. Uh, I don't want to belittle the department, you know, because I, there I've worked in law enforcement. There can be a bad seed, a bad seed here, bad seed there. I, you know, I think it's in in my best interest and everybody's best interest to, instead of throw, uh, you know, names at people and call them terrible and this stuff is to say, do what's right. I mean, maybe you have a bad department. But do what's right, and the prosecutor should do what's right as well, because they have to remember, overall, the Attorney General of Florida is elected, and they need to realize that this weighs heavily, heavily on them if if this continues now that it's out in the open. You can't keep this charade going. Well, and not only that, the prosecutor is the gatekeeper. You know, they're the ones who decide if something's been done wrong or if there's enough evidence to prosecute. Right. Right. Now, you, like you said, you're going to have, you know, uh, you know, mistakes with police or, you know, you're going to have your bad seeds. But it's the prosecutor's job to be the buffer between the police and the court. You know, if you don't have enough evidence, you tell the police to go get more evidence. Then I'll prosecute somebody. Right. Not, OK, we're going to arrest the guy and then then look for evidence or not look for evidence <laughs> or not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's, it's the prosecutor's job to protect the innocent as much as it is to prosecute the guilty. Right. So, and that's, yeah. a, that's a good, a good thing that you said that because you yourself, Lauren have been treated as though you're guilty of stuff. Like just because of association uh, with Ty in many ways, they have, you know, not wanted to let you have uh, any type of contact with him at certain points. And it's, it's almost as though in that court and not just there, but across the country, Eddie Gallagher faced a very similar thing with the DOD where they're saying this guy is guilty and he is bad. And in the case of Eddie's wife, they treated her horribly and his kids. They treated you the same way. Yeah. From Again, from, from day one, um, it's a kind of a funny story. But when I went, went first to court, um, to a court appearance and I saw Ty for the first time in many, many years in person. And we obviously smile at each other. And, you know, there's rules you're not allowed to communicate, but we couldn't help but smiling. The prosecutor literally stood in front of me the entire hearing so that I could not see him. Wow. And she, there was just this, yeah, this, that was the other thing that struck me as completely odd. There's just this really nasty element, especially towards me. Right. And, you know, here I am just, uh, you know, kind of an innocent person trying to come in and, and make sense of this situation. And at first I thought there, there probably was just a really bad mistake that happened, but it became very obvious that there was a chip on these people's shoulders right. and that they were out to get him and and me by association. So I got 30 seconds left. Just bottom line, bottom line, what has to happen here? Um, bottom line is they need to dismiss the case, you know, and that, that has to happen. Um, like I said, they can't take it to trial. There's no way they can take it to trial. So drop the case. The whole point of, of prosecuting a case is so that you can take it to trial. If you can't take it to trial, then dismiss it. Right. You know, that's that's how it works. Yep. The prosecutor has to do the right thing, like you said, and it's, it's in his hands right now. You got the it. attorney's office, I mean. Yep. Hey, listen, guys, Lauren and I and Tyrone, Ty Tucker, God bless you. We'll be keeping abreast of this, and uh, God bless you. We'll be right back. This is John the Gillum filling in for Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. This is John and the Gillum back in for my good buddy, Sean Hannity. The Sean Hannity Radio Show call in is 800-941-7326. And listen, I want to get to your calls. I just, this, this show moves so fast and I've got such incredible guests with me that it's kind of hard at times to, um, 
to get to the phone calls. But if you're uh, driving down the road, you should pull over here a little bit when you get gas and you should go to Amazon and order for you can still get this if you're an Amazon Prime member. My book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival and its workbooks. So you can do threat assessments on your entire family or if you're a principal, your school, whatever. Um, it allows you to do the threat assessments as well as the new book that just came out. It's called uh, The Adventures of Team Little Bigs, a parent's book for children. This is a book uh, that's all pictures. And what's going to happen is I took, well, what happened? I took all the characters are based on animals that I've had. My dogs, Rico and Jesse, cats, my mom's dog, Bonnie Sue. And we, we make in these pictures are embedded safety and security lessons. Then you'll be able to go when it comes out. You can pre-order it now in, in, uh, in April. When it comes out, you'll be able to download lesson plans that go with each picture so that you can literally teach your children how to be safer, how to be aware, and then remind yourself of some of these incredible things as well. Now, I want to bring in uh, because of what I'm talking about today, and after having uh, the last guest on, would spend uh, two years in jail for with no evidence of any any involvement in a crime. Uh, my good buddy Paul Callen. Now, don't jump down the, the the Sean Hannity lines now, and don't go harass me or Paul on Twitter. Paul is a CNN legal analyst and former New York homicide prosecutor. He's also the guy who defended the Nicole Brown Simpson family and sued OJ Simpson civilly and won, right? And besides, he's not really getting a lot of work on CNN lately because all they do is cover <laughs> Trump. <laughs> so, so uh, Paul, you know, you heard that story before. You read the story. I sent it to you. It's incredible what's going on down there. Um, I, I do want to say this real quick before I ask you this question. If people want to reach out to the sheriff down there, uh, he's he got an email that you can reach out. It's R-A-M-S-A-Y. Ramsay at keysso.net. You can look them up. The, the, the sheriff's department down there in Key West is on Twitter as well, as is uh, state attorney Dennis Ward. You can find them on Twitter and the attorney general and let them know what you think. Let them know that they, this is kind of ridiculous that they're holding people in jail this long. But what's going, what's going on in New York? I'm not saying it's worse for Ty, but it's going to be worse for the people here. Uh, they're shutting jails down. There's no more bail before we didn't even get into this. when we were talking just now that now if you're a felon, you can sit on a jury in the state of New York. So if you're a female that just got raped and you, and, and your rapist is, uh, has a trial, there could be a rapist on the jury. Well, uh, you know, the, the, the jury selection rules have gotten so crazy in New York. You can also have a lawyer on the uh, jury as well, as as well as a judge, by the way. They said judges can even sit on juries. Well, we know we can't trust lawyers. Why would you have them on the, ju <laughs> on the jury? <laughs> I don't know. Well, we they put them on there. You know, defense attorneys love lawyers on the jury because they'll nitpick the case to death <laughs> and then try to convince the other jurors not to not to convict. Oh, gosh. But, uh, <laughs> That's a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. So what's going on? Why would they do away with bail? So people that aren't from New York may not know this, but New York City now for a multitude of crimes as of January 20th, I think it is, there's going to be no bail. You get arrested, you get uh, booked, and then you're just let free. Well, there's the law is more specific than that, it, but it makes a huge difference and change in the way criminal cases and even violent criminal cases are, are handled in New York. All uh, misdemeanors 
uh, no bail anymore. Now, a lot of misdemeanor offenses, you'd get bail before. You know, mm-hmm. somebody uh, does some kind of a sexual, uh, you know, attack on a person on the subway, but they don't hurt them. Um, that might be written up as a misdemeanor. And it might be somebody who's done it a lot of times before. Right. That person would be put in jail pending, uh, you know, his trial. Now, no bail is allowed in that case now. So he's got to be released. You also, the rules of bail, and, and I remember very well standing up in court as a prosecutor, uh, and as a defense attorney, you always hear the argument, this person has great roots in the community and he's not a risk of flight. I mean, bail exists really to make sure somebody comes back for their trial. Mm-hmm. And um, so roots in the community and a stable address, that was something that was very important. Well, guess what? Even if you're homeless now, they have to give no bail to you. They have to release you. And one of the things that uh, one of the things that the advocates of this crazy system has said is, well, there are social workers who know where in the streets a lot of these homeless people live. Now, what do you think the chances are that a homeless person who lives in the streets is going to come back and answer charges uh, in court? Not very, very good. Right. But I think the um, the t- most terrible thing about it is you have very serious felonies, and one of the most serious felonies I think is burglary. Somebody breaks into your home. What is more frightening than that? In the middle of the night, you hear you hear steps and somebody's in your house. Maybe more than one person is in your house. If you had a gun, the law would say you could shoot the person. But guess what? If he gets arrested, you can't set bail on the case. He can. And, and let's say he's had 10 residential burglaries before. Um, you can't set bail on the case to keep him from doing another one. He has to remain out pending trial. Um, and the, the list goes on and on of wow. the kinds of cases, the categories of cases uh, where people will have mandatory pretrial release under this new New York law. Now, that doesn't mean all violent felonies. Fortunately, if you commit murder and rape and kidnapping and some of the more serious violent crimes, a judge can still set bail in those cases. Let me say this. And I get what you're saying. More serious crimes. But nobody knows the guy that breaks into your house in the middle of the night, it, he's fully capable of killing you as well. Maybe you just stopped him before it happened. Well, that's exactly true. I mean, th- this is this is the type of thinking that actually gets people killed or does not it, it, it prevents the law from doing what it's actually supposed to do, which is keep people like that away from the public. Well, I can't tell you how many times I stood in front of a judge um, on arraignments, you know, which was kind of like that was the uh, the intake system for the whole criminal justice system. You get everything from misdemeanors to murder that would come through. And one of the things a good judge did in deciding those cases was making an assessment as to how strong the case was against the person. Because if it's a strong case and it's a case that involves violence, there's a good chance that that person might want to flee rather than go to jail for 20 years. So he's almost always going to set bail in a case like Mm -hmm. that. Well, you can't consider that at all now. You can't consider that. You can't consider the fact that he might commit another offense. You can't consider dangerousness. Um, And um, And in a lot of states, you can. If the person came into the country illegally... Well, of um, course you can't consider that. And they're just going to... They could flee and never be seen again. Well, yes, that's right. But, you know... Uh, that's, wow. <laughs> that's the way it is. Now, the statistics on it are amazing, I think, because there are, uh, lawyers who are estimating now that as many as 20,000 people who would have bail set on them under the old system as of, I think it's January 1st of this year, um, they'll, they'll be released. They're going to be really 20,000 people next year are going to be hitting the streets 
who are not on the streets today. And they, some of them will be out on very, very minor charges, but others, they could be these residential burglars or they could be repeat offenders. Um, and, and I will tell you about another category of case that falls through the, the cracks. And, and, I, and prosecutors see this all the time. Cops come in, they have a strong suspect in a very, very serious homicide or a very serious violent crime. But the only evidence that's available now is evidence of a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maybe it's some kind of a serious misdemeanor, but a misdemeanor. A misdemeanor, you, go, you can go to jail for a year. And so th- the judge may in that situation say, well, I'm, I'm going to set bail on the case, and but I want you back in a week to find out what's going on with the case. Well, now he'll, he won't have that option anymore. He, he'll have no option but to release the person who uh, the cops are an inch from uh, making a case against. Now, they everybody's presumed innocent, right? Right. In this country. I mean, that's part of the presumption that's made. But um, that presumption of innocence applies at the time of trial. It doesn't mean you're really innocent. It just means that at the time of trial, your case has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. And you have to overcome the presumption of innocence. And um, I think that uh, one of the things you have to consider early in a criminal case is how dangerous the person is and whether that danger to the community and their failure to return for trial is something that should be considered. Now, what about the closing of Rikers? Well, this What's is that all. <laughs> well, this is factoring. And where in, are those people going to go? This is factoring in in a major way. Now, this started. Yeah, this was Judge de Bla- uh, uh, rather, I shouldn't say judge, judge uh, Mayor please. de Blasio. Well, that's, maybe that'll be his next step. I don't know. Mayor de Blasio's idea. Um, you know, for many years, uh, I, I don't know, probably 100 years, uh, New York City has housed all of its people on Rikers Island. And it was kind of a convenient location because it's an island. It's part of New York City. And you could put all of the correctional facilities there. And, uh, the, you know, the city's pretty safe. It's pretty hard to get off Rikers Island. So they come up with this grand idea that, no, that's it's too far away to have to go from one part of the city to the other. Um, So let's build much smaller jails in all the boroughs of New York. Mm -hmm. And then let's reduce the population of Rikers Island. And really, these changes in and the bail reform legislation, as it's called, are designed to severely reduce the population at Rikers Island. And what they're going to do then is they're going to close down Rikers. And if it turns out they're wrong about this, well, and they say, you know, we've got to change the law back to the way it was. The city's getting dangerous again. People are getting killed. Um, Where are they going to put the prisoners? Because they won't have the jail space anymore. There'll be no place to put them. See, this is unbelievable how one individual, de Blasio, and not just de Blasio, but there's several other people, but politicians can affect millions of people. I mean, there's 8 million people that live in this surrounding area. And now they're going to be uh, 20,000 people are going to be released. The jails are going to be, well, they're just creating a bigger, a bigger bureaucracy by doing that as well. Well, they are. And um, I think, you know, the change and you talk about how politics influences the law in New York state, you had a Republican Senate uh, that, blocked these kinds of changes when they were proposed by a lot of the legislators who were elected from New York City. Now, New York City's entirely Democratic. There's, there, I mean, there are a couple of Republicans scattered here and there, but that's yeah. about it. And um, when the Republicans lost control of the legislature, you have 
both houses of the legislature are Democrat and Cuomo's a Democrat. So this legislation uh, uh, zipped right through uh, uh, during the past Un- year. Unbelievable. You know, in Chicago, I had a, a, an officer reach out to me and told me that in Chicago, it, they will not charge somebody with um, a cr- uh, like robbery, for instance, right? Unless it exceeds $10,000 in theft and they've had eight prior convictions. Well, I mean, that's far worse than New York, if that's true, because, you know, robbery in New York was always considered one of the most serious crimes you can commit. Mm-hmm. And now they've exempted uh, all robberies that uh, do not involve use of a knife or a firearm, a strong arm robbery. You know, robbery by definition means that you've used force to commit a theft of another person. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, unless you don't use a gun or a knife, uh, no bail for you, pal. You can go home while you wait for your trial. And it doesn't matter what your prior record is. That's the thing that scares me. You know, some a little old lady who's been robbed repeatedly on her block by whatever wise guys are hanging around at night when she tries to get from her bus back to home gets arrested on second degree robbery uh, under this new law. And uh, she finally gets the courage to bring charges against them. Guess what? They're released the night they're brought into jail and she's got to go home and they're back on the block again. So how are those people going to handle bringing charges? They're not going to bring charges anymore because they're going to live in fear. Uh, And uh, there are also other changes going on in the uh, discovery system pre-trial. It used to be that prosecutors didn't have to reveal the names of key witnesses in the case until much later in uh, the discovery period. Now, uh, within three weeks, all of the evidence in the case has to be disclosed to the defendant. And I think there's a lot of fear that uh, people might be in danger who are the key witnesses in those felony cases. We have to cut it there. Uh, Ten seconds. What, what's your prediction here? Well, my prediction is that uh, New York's <laughs> in for, for a rude awakening in February and March. And maybe sensibly, some of these things will be uh, changed and uh, maybe judges will f- figure out ways around some of the laws as they often do to protect the public, but we'll have to see. Might be time to start looking for a new place to live. Hey, listen, Paul Callen, thank you very much. Always great hearing from you. Real expert in this in the in this field, and a good friend of mine uh, who also introduced me to scooters, which I end up getting my <laughs> leg messed up. But God bless you, brother. Thank All you very right. much. Always good being with you, John. You got it. This is John the Gillum filling in for my good buddy Sean Hannity uh, on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. 800-941-7326. Call in and go get right now. We're on the break. You got time. Go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere else. And the new children's book, it's really a parent's book for children, The Adventures of Team Little Bigs. You will love it. We'll be right back. This is John and the Gillum filling in for my good buddy Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. And I don't know if you saw this report, but it appears that Boeing's uh, space launch has been botched. And now it appears that the rocket has veered out of control. And I've got unconfirmed reports that it's veering to the left because Boeing has too many liberals on its uh, executive board. That's what I heard. Stay tuned. We'll come back with more. Maybe I heard it. Maybe I didn't reports. But uh, we're going to keep talking about the reality of what's happening in the legal system in this country. And go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. You can still get it before Christmas. And Team Little Bigs, The Adventure of Team Little Bigs, a parent's book for children. Order that now. You won't be sorry that you get these things and make your family safer. We'll be right back. And this is John and the Gill. I'm filling in for my good buddy, Sean Hannity, who, I mean, this guy never takes a day off. 
And he finally took a couple days off. Thank goodness. 800-941-7326 when I get to your calls. Uh, But since Sean let me step in, uh, I wanted to talk about something all the, you know, kind of do a theme show that surrounds what's happening in the legal system. And the problem with how the legal system is now systematically shifted from innocent till proven guilty to you're guilty and you should plead out or just go away. Now, You may think that this is just a legal issue and this is politics as normal, but I, I wanted to bring in who I I like to have on the shows when I host Scott Eulinger. He's a former CIA station chief, uh, a Navy veteran, and uh, one of the most well-read individuals that I know. But the reason I wanted to bring Scott on is because this is the reality, right? It's not just that the legal system is being manipulated and broken. Scott, We've talked about this before numerous times. If you were going to run, let's say you were an in, still an intel officer out there. Of course, they always say that once you're with the agency, you still are. So I don't know. Maybe maybe you are. But <laughs> but they, you know, if you were running an intel op on another country in a political firestorm, well, first of all, you can create this type of political firestorm. And how beneficial is it to go after the legal system? I don't know if you heard when Paul Callan was talking there a minute ago about how they're going to release all these people and how, you know, there's no bail now. And if you, you're a burglar, uh, even uh, as long as you didn't use a weapon, you're just going to be let out uh, before your trial. All these things are occurring because leftist politicians are changing laws that are making the country more dangerous at the same time they're disrupting the political process and the ability of the president to work. How much does this sound like an intel operation? I mean, it, it does. And in fact, you know, people like uh, Vladimir Putin and everyone and, um, and Xi in China are just licking their chops at this stuff because they don't need to undermine our country. The liberal progressives are doing a really top notch job of it themselves, undermining our faith in our own institutions and all. And right. And, and obviously the uh, relaxed uh, bail procedures and, um, and, you know, by a dual track justice system are a big part of it. And it really helps disenchant a lot of Americans as to where our legal system is going. And when we look at the president, we look at what happened to him last week. I mean, uh, first of all, I don't know if people realize this. It wasn't just that the president was impeached. Your constitutional right in your, uh, to vote and the power of that vote became basically uh, nothing. You lost your power. Because now if they don't like the president, they can just disrupt him for three years and then try to remove him from office before he gets reelected. That in and of itself also sounds like something that is an intel officer's dream for the country that they're working against. It absolutely, it absolutely is. And, uh, and what, what happens is, you know, when you have a system like this, and I've seen it in other countries, I've operated in other countries with these types of problems, it, you create a huge population of disenchanted people. And those people are ripe for intelligence recruitment. You know, when I have, you know, Russian, when I'm recruiting Russians and Iranians, they're not just coming at me because they want uh, an easy buck. I mean, these people are often undertaking, you know, a relationship that can get them killed. The reason they're doing it is because they're convinced of the lack of justice under their present system. And that's why what really motivates them to help Americans, because they look upon, God knows what it is like now, because this is five years ago. They look upon America as a beacon of hope in a difficult world. God knows how we are perceived by maybe some of these same people, you know, 
that's that's another problem that you know one of those secondary effects because of all of the the damage that the liberal progressives have done in the United States. There's probably that many more. North Koreans, Russians, or Iranians who are saying, you know, I was thinking about volunteering to the CIA, but I'm not going to do it anymore because the Americans are obviously as screwed up as we are. And I'm not really going to probably get a fair shake there either. Right. When you so look- that means that our intel will be less effective because we'll have fewer sources who want to work with us. Right. Now, when you look at um, the actions of when you, okay, first of all, Vindman, that guy gives me the heebie-jeebies, right? When I look at him and his and his position that he's in and the fact that his brother works with him in the White House and their father actually defected, not defected, but left uh, the country, immigrated here from the country in which they're accusing the president of being uh, involved with, all that stuff is very, very hinky to me. And oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And when I look at the Lieutenant Colonel Do- Lieutenant Colonel Donut, as I like to call yeah, him, the Lieutenant, I won't even give him the I won't even give him the props of saying what his rank was, right? Because I mean, <laughs> but but smug and accusing the president of doing the exact thing that they most likely are doing, which is why they don't like these policies to be checked because it gives them free reign to do and say whatever they want. I mean, Joe Biden showed that. Uh, you know, several right. years ago. Um, when, you, right. when you see this, though, when you see the people that are in and around the White House manipulating the truth the way that they have from an intel agent's perspective, does it not look like they are trying to hide something that they ha- themselves have done and they're trying to push uh, the the president into a corner? Oh, certainly. That's absolutely the truth. I mean, you know, um, uh, there's certainly a wealth of articles that describe these things, but maybe as an intel officer and you working in law enforcement, maybe we're extra sensitive. What I'm saying is we tend to maybe see these things coming a mile away. And a lot of the, uh, the, the you know, listeners maybe see it coming half a mile away. So we get early notice. So, you know, I've known what we have both known well in advance about the how the steel dossier was garbage. I mean, I literally wrote about it two and a half years ago, and I was on radio talking about it two and a half years ago. And now, only now, do our great informed mainstream media announce that yeah, maybe there were a few problems with you know, and and this this is all this is all part of this entitlement that the swamp bureaucracy has. I mean. You know, there are people who still occasionally send me things on Twitter that basically think I'm some kind of conspiracy theorist for saying that there is a deep state bureaucracy. But I think most Americans, having seen the Vindman testimony and what's going on now, it's clear that these people are conspiratorial and wish us um, you know, ill will. So, so this is something I want to ask you about. So, you know, when it comes to uh, I, I told the story at the beginning of the show about this brawl that I got into in the Willard Hotel this past week. And I'm, I, I try to avoid I brawls. Read all about it. Right. So I read all about it. So these people, these far leftists that were having this uh, wedding um, are not Antifa people. These are well to do uh, D.C. people. Um, when you look at uh, the individuals that and the way that they think, right? When you dealt with people from other countries, uh, and we saw this, we, we always see this when dictators arise, there's going to be certain people 
I'm not saying Trump. I'm talking about the the, the Democrat right. Party here. But when dictators or kings in the past or kings and queens and just people who rule with with authoritarian rule, um, there's going to be a certain amount of people that surround them with absolute loyalty, not just ideology uh, wise, but also because they know they're going to get they're going to make a lot of money and they're going to have a great life. And certainly, exactly. Explain that to people, because I'm sure you saw that. that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is one thing that got people motivated to decide to work with someone like me because they were born of the wrong class. They were maybe a really smart person, but because their dad was a dissident in the regime, their career was going to go nowhere. And so after, after some frustration, maybe they decided, yeah, I do happen to work for an evil regime, whether it's Iran or North Korea, and I want to talk to someone about it. And that's what motivated them to speak. So, yeah, because they have this, they have, entrenched bureaucracies or swamps of their own. It's just that the sad thing is, I mean, now we're like officially in banana Republic status with this, with this impeachment debacle, you know? And and so it's just a sad case of, you know, the same things that I used to kind of, you know, maybe be a, a, a kind of snicker at a little bit that I saw in the third world 15 years ago. Well, guess what? Now we're part of it. Right. Now, when you look at, uh, I believe I'm right in this statistic that 1% of Americans are millionaires, but 50% of those in Congress are millionaires, right? I think that's correct. It's, it's, some, it's something like that. Right. Certainly. It's Absolutely. close. When you see that from an Intel officer's perspective and all the other countries that you've worked around, when you see this many people in government, not get elected that are millionaires become millionaires while they're in there. What does that say to you when you analyze the state of their government? Yeah, it obviously uh, speaks to a lot of corruption and, you know, a lot of corruption. And, and that's, and that's in fact what it is. The, the problem, I guess the thing that I, you know, I've seen it in my lifetime, and I think a lot of listeners have seen like their point of view has changed over the past five years or 10 years is that, you know, I guess I've come to realize that the United States has just as much corruption as any other country. The only difference is it's a little bit more subtle. Whereas in Iran, you have to bribe a doctor to get your wife in a, in a decent hospital room to give birth to your son or have him get good grades on his sixth grade finals. You have to bribe everyone. This is much less. It's, it's not an everyday bribery or corruption that we see as Americans. It's basically cronyism. It's a lot of people at the top, whether they're in politics or government, setting up sweetheart deals for themselves. And we are just clueless about that. Whereas in other countries, in South America, in the third world, in the Middle East, the people see the corruption every single day because they're always having to pull out an extra buck to bribe the cop or the teacher or the nurse. So it's, it's a different form of corruption but it's just as bad for democracy and, and, you know, our idea of a republic. And right along with that, uh, when you've looked at these other countries, um, and again, I'm asking Scott these questions. I think I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but the reason I'm asking <laughs> him the way that I'm asking him is though the American people that are listening to this, 20 million people listening, you're the jury. And I want you to listen to this evidence. So, Scott, when, when you look at other countries, right? And you see that the politicians are embedded literally as in married to the people that run media and many of the voices in media and the country is slipping left, not just liberal, slipping to 
socialism and towards communism. What does that say to you? This marriage? It's, it, it's it's it starts to scare me because it makes it sound like the idea of reform just becomes harder and harder because these people on the left, these corrupt figures, are you know interbreeding. They're consolidating their power in in like you said in the mainstream media. And they happen to you know their wife happens to work for the government. We saw that a lot under the Obama administration. We even see it today. And so they're just cementing their hold on power. They control communications. They control the way the news is spun to try to keep the population sort of fat, dumb, and happy. That's right. So unfortunately, you know, the more you know about like the history of a Soviet Union or countries like that, you see some really striking parallels with what is happening now in our country. And that's that's, you know, an awful thing to have to look at. But, you know, having studied and lived in these countries for so long, you really start to see a lot of parallels. You know, the, the, the difference is that maybe I, I started, we started seeing them and warning about it a while ago. Only in the last couple of years under President Trump have people, and the ones that voted for Trump especially, are the ones that have really woken up to how bad it is when they see how much these powers that be want to destroy a president. And it's not about destroying him as much as it is about a, destroying us because we voted for him and also to protect their own to isolate themselves from their own crime right yeah that's and, why they want to silence us and then you have nadler uh saying accusing louis gomer one of the most patriotic americans americans that i know accusing him of spreading ru- russian propaganda uh, on the, <laughs> the on the house floor listen i gotta let you go right we'll cut it right there scott but i think we gave the jury enough to sit back and and say things that make you go hmm for sure that's right all right, brother. Definitely. God bless Thanks you. A lot, John. Have a Merry Christmas and, and, uh, and God bless you, my brother, for all you've done for this country. You too. God bless you, John. You got it. This is John the Gillum filling in for my good buddy, Sean Hannity, 800-941-7326. I am still going to try to get to your calls. Go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival, so that you can see this. This will help you see the way bad guys see. And go get the newest book. The Adventures of Team Little Bigs, a parent's book for children. You can order it now, tell your kids it's coming, and then they can get it in April. We'll be right back. This is Jonathan Gillum. You can find me on Twitter, jgilliam underscore seal, and on Facebook, Instagram, everything else, Jonathan T. Gilliam. Listen, if you're ever wondering what would happen if one of these states' governments started sending their police departments in to just start taking your guns, that's pretty much what's happening in Virginia. And next, uh, at the top of the hour, my good buddy Brian Kovacs from TalkingGuns.com is going to come on, and we're going to discuss exactly what's happening. Actually, it's kind of an example of how I think people should come together uh, and stand against these uh, idiotic laws that are violating our constitutional rights. And the police department's there, and the people are coming together, and that's what we need to see. This John the Gillum. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. While we're there, go pre-order my my new book, The Adventures of Team Little Bigs. It's a parent's book for children. You're going to love it and get Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. You can still get them now before Christmas arrives. We'll be right back. This is Jonathan Gillum back in for my good buddy, Sean Hannity. Almost Christmas, folks. It's getting close. And it's really different than the way it used to be, isn't it, when it comes to shopping for Christmas gifts? I mean, used to right now, you'd be freaking out. 
I mean, Walmart would be like, uh, what am I going to get them from Walmart that's going to make them feel good about themselves? Not saying anything bad about Walmart, but you're not going to get the most expensive Christmas gift at Walmart. It'd be like towels and washcloths or something like that. Now, Amazon, I mean, Walmart, even in Walmart, you can shop online now and get the stuff almost overnight uh, in a lot of cases, uh, which kind of leads me to the fact that I have several books out there that you could go get. And have them sent to you before Christmas. Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. That's the one that started it all. Bestseller. We sold over 80,000 copies. Amazing things have come out of this book. Uh, children have, uh, not children, but kids, really. I had a, a guy call in and say his 10-year-old now looks at everything, makes sure that the windows are locked, that the car keys are out of the car. Parents, school administrators have called me, told me that they're using the book and the workbooks to do threat assessments on their facilities. And and now we have, which you can go get, The Adventures of Team Little Bigs, a parent's book for children, which you can pre-order it now. And then this weekend, I'll have the website started where you can, it's not going to be set completely up, but you can go and download a picture so that you can put it in the stocking and say, hey, this is coming to you from Team Little Bigs. It'll be in April. And what's going to happen is when the book comes out in April, you can go and sign into the website and download lesson plans to teach your children children through these pictures safety and awareness it's amazing never been done before team little bigs just look up the adventures of team little bigs a parent's book for children on amazon and barnes and noble and it, it's going to make a difference if it saves even one life it's worth all the effort uh, that myself and danielle kreiner who was the uh, the uh the illustrator just an amazing amazing illustrator you're going to love this now let's move on to what we were talking about before with the laws and the legal system and how they have been manipulated by the left. And I think a perfect example of the potential of this and how you should respond to it, not just with uh, the way uh, uh, Tyrone Ty Tucker and Lauren Jenai were uh, are responding to the way he's been, was forced to sit in jail for two years down in Key West with no evidence. But in Virginia, they're writing the laws exactly like they wrote in Virginia. They're attempting to go after guns and now you have sanctuary, Second Amendment sanctuary cities popping up. And I figured let's bring on Brian Kovacs. He's a good buddy of mine. He is, he is the, the I don't know if you're the creator, but you're the guy that runs TalkingGuns.com. They're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Incredible videos, incredible content. And uh, you yourself were a prison guard in a, a very high-level uh, prison with some really bad guys. Tell everybody what these sanctuary cities are for the Second Amendment in Virginia. Well, thanks. It's great to be on with you, Jonathan. Um, basically, 94 cities so far in Virginia, um, basically cities and counties have signed on to be Second Amendment sanctuaries, basically saying that they are not going to enforce anything that is unconstitutional when it comes to these new regulations that they're trying to pass. And the new regulations that they're trying to pass in regards to firearms specifically, rifles, pistols, shotguns, they all have very, very deceptive wording in them to include almost everything on the market. Well, so when it comes to what's actually happening down there, right, and these sheriffs and police chiefs, uh, is it mostly law enforcement that's saying that we are not going to stand for this or are there city officials in these places that are actually standing with law enforcement? No, there is city officials that are standing with law enforcement. And as you know, the sheriff is kind of the last, uh, 
bastion of your constitutional rights. He can choose to not enforce a law, which in a sense would nullify it in his jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. So if you know they try to say, hey, we're going to come in and do this, he can actually stop any other law enforcement from coming in, obviously until they challenge him in court for something like that. Right. And then the other part about this, which I found very interesting, is that I'm seeing reports that there are organized militias um, in and around Virginia that are now stepping up and saying that they will stand with law enforcement and prevent any of these weapons from being taken. Absolutely. I mean, they're, the left is already saying that they're going to utilize the National Guard to start confiscating weapons and things like this. I, I don't really see that happening. Um, it, it's a possibility. Don't get me wrong. We don't know how far they're willing to go with things like this. Hey, but, I didn't see myself getting in a fight with a bunch of these people last Saturday. So who knows? Who knows? Exactly. That's a great example, too. So the way that I see it is the, the National Guard's first you know, duty is to uphold the Constitution of the United States. That's a major part of why they're there. The, the whole point of them doing that, or I'm sorry, the whole point of them having that as in their guidelines, they're not going to sit there and what, use their weapons against innocent civilians that are law-abiding? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. Right. Well, so, but, go ahead, go ahead. But I think it's an interesting thing seeing militias of people rising up and saying, we're not going to take this, we're not going to stand for this, when clearly the legislatures aren't, the legislators aren't going with what the people want. They're going with their personal agendas, it seems like. Yeah, and so that's what I was going to get. Two things that come out of what you just said. One, militias are organized groups of civilians. That's all they are. They're organized groups of civilians. Uh, so it's not like they're crazy you know, groups that are uh, hell-bent on an ideology. Most of these people are just constitutionalists. The other thing is that uh, there is precedence for what's happening in New Jersey, is there not? Well, what's very interesting is the laws are strikingly similar. The way they've written them out, and let me just give you the gist of it, is basically they, in New Jersey, they specifically state semi-automatic rifle, and they say has the ability to accept detachable magazines and has two of the following, a folding or telescopic stock, a pistol grip, which protrudes conspicuously beneath the action of the weapon, a bayonet mount, a flash suppressor or threaded barrel designed to accommodate a flash suppressor, and grenade launcher. But it also states that if a firearm isn't listed by name, then it may be considered to be substantially identical if it has those qualities. So basically, if it looks like, then it will be. And that is a banned firearm, which then you become a felon. Now, in Virginia, their exact interpretation is a semi-automatic centerfire rifle that expels single or multiple projectiles by action of an explosion of a combustible material and has the ability to accept a detachable magazine with one of the following characteristics, a folding or telescopic stock, a pistol grip, a thumbhole stock, a second hand grip or protruding grip, bayonet mount, grenade launcher, flare launcher, a silencer, a flash suppressor, a muzzle brake, a muzzle compensator, or threaded barrel. And then it says at the very end, any characteristic of like kind as enumerated in clauses 1 through 12. So in all those examples, if it looks like, then it is. This is, I mean, so basically they just listed, they just put almost every form of weapon that you can come up with, it's a long gun at least, uh, on that list, or even even uh, many pistols. Absolutely. And it's the same for pistols and shotguns. They all consider 
that verbiage in there. And it says specifically any characteristic of like kind as enumerated in clauses, you know, that they've listed. So basically that's every weapon on the market. It's, it's, deeply disturbing. Now you grew up in Jersey, but you live in the free state of Arizona, which I love Arizona next to my home state of Arkansas is probably the, my most favorite place. Uh, it, what is it about that? Well, explain this real quick. This is not really off topic, but it, it, it kind of relates to it in Arizona. If you're a citizen and you have a pulse, you can carry a gun. It's constitutional carry. How how scary is it? I know the answer to this question, but how scary is it for civilians to go out on the street and worry that they're going to be shot by some individual who's just carrying a gun, who's not a criminal, just somebody who says that's my constitutional right? Is it scary there? Do you feel threatened all the time? Absolutely not, because basically everybody has a potential to be carrying a firearm. So, number one, in a lot of circumstances, criminals think twice about, you know, committing a crime of opportunity against somebody you know, like carjacking or robbery, anything like that. Number two, I feel safer knowing that people, other citizens like myself, have firearms and are able to defend me if necessary or the other people that are around. Yeah. Now, here's the other thing. You, you Again, you came from New Jersey. You live in Arizona. It's a free state. Unlike uh, New Jersey, New York, and now Virginia, a lot of these places, even Texas, I have – Bad news for you, Texas. Going left fast. But, Brian, I want to ask you two things. One, you worked in a very high-security prison for a long time. Do you think that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself? (laughs) (laughs) In my opinion, I almost find it physically impossible that he would be able to. Right. The second Um, thing is, I wanted to ask you, though, is President Trump still your president? <laughs> he is. He's still out all of our presidents. <laughs> That's correct. You answered those correctly. You're a, you get an A. <laughs> you know, uh Paul Paul Callen was on earlier. He's a former uh New York uh, homicide prosecutor. And uh, we were talking in between the breaks. I didn't want to get into it with him, but he you should see his face when I asked him about Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, that is a story that just kind of went away. Right. But the, the weirdness about that is that the high level of people he's connected to um, this, the, the way that the media passes on that and focuses on this president says so much about who these people are. And I guess the, the, the last question I want to ask you uh, before we uh, before we get to the end of this interview and explain this for the people, you worked around criminals. A lot. I locked a lot of criminals up. I investigated them when I was in the FBI. I followed them. But you literally were with them. You had conversations with them. You you got to know some of these people. How similar is their behavior uh, to these politicians that you see in the way that they're disregarding the Constitution, trying to take away our weapons, setting themselves up just like a mob figure, setting themselves up to be in power and in control and to take more money? It's it, How similar is the behavior there? Well, what's interesting about what you're saying is criminals are always looking to prey on people, um, that regardless of what they do or what they're in for. So they've all done something to prey on people. And obviously, making people or having people that are forced into being victims makes them an easier target. There's less of a chance of fighting, less of a chance of them protecting themselves. It makes it more conducive to the criminal's environment versus the other places like Free America, Arizona, where 
we have, you know, like you said, we have constitutional carry. Everybody pretty much has a gun or everybody can have a gun. So inside, let's just put it this way, inside of a super maximum custody facility, there are still people who get hard drugs, weapons, all kinds of contraband inside of somewhere where they can't even have contact with other people. And they're locked up for 20 hours a day. Mm -hmm. So when you think about that, it's very similar to the outside world in a lot of these, you know, left-run areas of the country. There's a lot of criminals running around doing whatever they want. And inside the prison, they're still able to get things. And we try our best to to stop that. We try our best to make sure that they don't have access to things to you know, hurt us, kill us, or hurt or kill the other, you know, people within the units. Right. But it's still, it, it's, it's a, it's a battle. It's a constant battle with them. So. And, and you see this all in politics and we've had this conversation many, many, yeah. many times. It, it, it seems to be all the same. It's take, 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 take. And it's not give and take anymore. You know, years ago, there used to be a give and take within politics from both sides. You know, you give a little, you get a little, everybody's happy. People come out with a mutual benefit. Nowadays, it's all I want, I want, I want. And they're not even giving the other people a chance to speak about it. Right. And it's crazy. You'd be surprised at how many rights inmates have nowadays. They get iPods. They get all kinds of things that people on the outside don't even have the luxury of getting. They get it just because they're incarcerated. And I give you 30 seconds here real quick. What do you think is going to be the future of this? I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to uh, somebody who's been uh, held in prison with no evidence for two years. I've talked to uh, Paul uh, Callen, who's a, uh, a former homicide prosecutor and what's happened in New York, letting all these people out, no more bail. I talked to Scott Elinger, who's saying that everything that's happened is very similar to an intel operation he would handle. What, what do you see? Over the next year, while this president, I wouldn't say struggle, he's not struggling, but uh, tries to get reelected, just 10 seconds, is it, what do you think is going to happen this next year? I think that you're going to have a lot of interesting issues with voter suppression and voter fraud coming out of these people who are being released because they're going to go try to vote and they're going to you know try to go for people who are going to give them the most stuff, right? Yeah. So you're going to end up with that in these states where they're giving out driver's licenses and they're allowing them to have all the amenities that are basically reserved for citizens. That's a good point to end on because I'm going to talk to Dr. Ben Carson here shortly about the homeless rate, which this is all leading to. Brian, thank you very much from TalkingGuns.com. You can find him on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Talking Guns. Go check it out. This Jonathan Gillum will be right back in just a minute. 800-941-7326. I'll try to get two-year phone calls and go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival and The Adventures of Team Little Bigs. We'll be right back. This is Jonathan Gillum back in for my good buddy, Sean Hannity, on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Listen, folks, uh, this man that I'm about to have on the radio with me, it is an honor for me to interview him and to, to discuss what we're going to talk about. Those of you that know who I am, I uh, wasn't just an FBI agent. I was a Navy SEAL. And uh, to serve my country in so many different ways, it, it's just what I was called to do, as the majority of people have. And uh, Dr. Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, uh, he is, of course, the Secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And one of, I, I don't really know anyone 
that dislikes uh, Ben Carson, you have to be, sir, one of the only people in politics that I just can't find anyone that doesn't like you. You're just a, it's, that's an amazing thing. And, and sir, you were, uh, you're a surgeon. Um, I, one of my biggest mentors in life is uh, a neurosurgeon. And um, what you all go through is just, it's just amazing. The specialty and the way that you look at problems, you say that's broken. We have to figure out the best way to fix it. And if that isn't the best, we will find another way. Uh, when you look at homelessness, and veterans homelessness and just this epidemic around this country is there a way that we can fix this absolutely but let me just say i i also appreciate the tremendous career that you've had as a seal as a police officer as an intelligence agent uh, really helping to keep our nation safe and sometimes we take people like you for granted but we couldn't have the freedoms we have without you so thank you for that you got it that's an honor but, thank you uh, as far as uh, homelessness uh, for veterans is concerned, one of the things that a lot of people don't recognize is that, you know, going into military service can be quite traumatic. And a lot of times people say, he's different than he was when he went in. Well, you don't actually have to be on the front lines uh, in battle to suffer some injuries because every time one of those big artillery guns goes off, even in practice, it's still sending percussions through the air that resonate through your skull. And they're finding the same kinds of injuries to the brain that they see in football players who've had multiple concussions. Right. So I don't think that there's nothing that that is real and that is physical that's going on. And then there's all kinds of temptations, you know, with drugs and other things. A lot of things can happen that alter you. And what we need to recognize as the American people is that 1% of our population provides the freedom for the other 99%. So we should just recognize when, when they come back and they have problems, we have a duty to do something about it. That's number one. Now, what are we doing? Uh, I think, first of all, I recognize that the number of homeless veterans has decreased by 50% over the last decade. Uh, so a lot of people have concentrated on, but I think the most effective program has been the HUD-BASH program, in which HUD provides the housing vouchers and the VA provides the uh, clinical uh, services and the case management. And if you just give them a case management, it doesn't work. If you just give them housing, it doesn't work. But when you give them both, a large percentage emerge as self-sufficient individuals. I was in San Antonio two days ago, and uh, the uh, veterans facility there uh, was turning out 90% of the people who came in as self-sufficient individuals. So uh, it can be done. It needs to be done as public-private partnerships and in ways that you actually restore people and you restore their esteem and their self-confidence and you provide what's needed to get there. That's what real compassion is. Some people think real compassion is just getting them under a roof, housing first, just get on the roof, no requirements, no anything, and we've done our duty. That's not compassion at all. We have these are these are fellow Americans and we want to restore them. Well, if I could say, you know, from my own experience, sir, that uh, I was never in combat. I was a SEAL at a period where we weren't we didn't have combat. And right when 9-11 happened, I went over into the air marshal program. But when I was in training, I mean, there were many times I was, you know, uh, on the other side of a berm from from 25 claymores going off or 
in between two yeah. 50 caliber machine guns uh, going off within uh, two feet on each side of me. Um, the Absolutely. the injury that you sustained to your brain. I mean, we, we shot law and, and Carl Gustav rockets all day long for practice. Um, these are injuries that I, I'm so happy to hear that this administration is looking at those because it's never been done before. And then the other thing that you said that is amazing to me is that, you know, our life as veterans goes from a hundred miles an hour to uh, zero. And you know that because when you were in the operating room, for instance, and you're operating and you're a neurosurgeon. And then when you step out of that, your life goes from a hundred miles an hour to zero. And if, if that's a life change, it causes major psychological problems. You just feel like you don't, you don't mean anything anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question about it. And, and, and that's why we need, you know, I, what I would love to see is when someone enlists in the military, they automatically are assigned to a support system. And that support system follows them all the way through their military career and several years afterwards, because that's when the problems occur. Mm -hmm. And if you intervene early, your chances of a very good and a quick outcome are much better. Now, do we have to be careful, though, in this way where I was looking at the stats that you all sent over about the homelessness rate across the country? And it appears to me that the homelessness rate is not greater, which I was actually surprised, in in states where it's warm. It's actually greater in states where they have a bigger economy and they offer more handouts to people. And that yeah. that's kind of striking to me. Oh, it's it's very striking. I mean, if you look at the, the national picture, uh, homelessness has gone down in the vast majority of states. Uh, but in California, it's gone up by 16.4%. And they've got 40 million people. So that completely uh, alters the uh, equation. And of course, uh, that's what you know, some people just emphasize homelessness is going up. The Trump administration is failing. Uh, the fact of the matter is homelessness is going down rather dramatically in a lot of places like uh, Texas. Uh, unsheltered homelessness year over year went down 30 percent. But one of the things that's not allowed in a lot of the places where it's going down is for people to camp on the street and people to create these public uh, problems. And. A lot of those states have programs for people, but they don't go to those programs when they can just sleep on the street and sleep under the bridge and nobody bothers them. So sometimes you have to just go out and help them to get to the place where they need to go and make it clear that, no, you may not sleep here. But there is a place over here where you can not only sleep, but you can get three warm meals and you can get some services to get you back on your feet. Right. Which I grew up extremely poor in Arkansas. And I know the difference between uh, being just being impoverished. I mean, we were extremely poor, engulfed in poverty and having a mom who says you can be whatever you want to be versus other people, because I saw them who were in the same poverty, but didn't have a parent that was their muse or their hero. And Brett, you're right. And then when they live in a city that also says, and this is, I had a conversation with a gentleman one time when I was traveling in my RV and he was filling up my propane and you know, he's a black guy and we had this incredible conversation and he brought up the fact that all these inner cities 
have the same and and I don't I'm the person that doesn't look at race. I don't uh, try I try never to look at these types of issues when I'm talking to somebody, but he brought it up. He said when you go to these cities, the majority of people that are in the inner city are black or they're latino and there's a reason for that and the reason is not because everybody that's white that has white skin in this country want them to be there the problem is that these people in there don't realize they can get out right and and that's that's one of the reasons that the Trump administration started the envision centers I opened the, the 35th one uh, just this week in San Antonio. Uh, and these are places that bring all the various types of wraparound services that are available under one roof in a place where the, uh, people can take advantage of them and climb up the ladder. Because a lot of times people just don't know. They have no idea what's out there and how they can take advantage of it. And also, you know, we have these uh, archaic programs that we put people in for like if you're getting housing assistance and you get a raise, you have to report that immediately so your rent can go up. Well, that's not a great incentive to go out and do better. You bring somebody else into your household uh, with an income, you have to report that so that your rent can go up and don't even think about getting married. (laughs) You're going to lose all all the things. And, you know, we we really need to think these things through a little bit better. Uh, And we don't want to keep people dependent. We want people to accelerate. We only have 330 million people in this country, and it sounds like a lot, but it's a quarter of what India has, a quarter of what China has, and we have to compete with them in the future. That means we need to develop all of our people. We can't afford to leave any of them behind. You know, I spoke to a guy in real estate here in uh, in New York City yesterday, and he was telling me that uh, these these city laws are causing a lot of this. And in New York City, the uh, they have the stabilized housing, rent stabilization, where as long as you live there in some of these places, and they're, they're kind of the rinky-dink little buildings that are around, um, your rent will never go up. So you could live there for 20 years. It's going to be $800 a month. And that, when you would leave or die, then they would uh, change the rent and they would up it to market value. Now in New York city, they froze that. So what's going to happen is all these people who own these buildings are not going to make any money out of it. They're going to give it back to the banks or they're just not going to spend any money in it. And they're going to become dilapidated, which will end up causing more people to be on subsistence or homeless. Exactly. It creates a bigger problem. And you know, the other thing is the places that have the most regulations, have the highest cost. You go to a place like Los Angeles, 80% of the land is zoned for one for single family dwellings with a certain amount of property. Uh, that creates a major problem. And then you've got height restrictions, density restrictions, noise restrictions, wetlands, environmental. The latest one is you have to have solar panels. And by the time you add all this stuff up, who can afford anything? And you go to San Francisco Bay Area, the, the median home price is $1.7 million. And these are not luxurious places. Wow. It's ridiculous. And, you know, until we, you know, start thinking in a rational way, you know, we hear a lot of the politicians say, federal government needs to give us more money. You're just chasing your tail. Prices go up, you put more money into it, you bankrupt your society. 
you need to actually go to the root cause of why this is happening and deal with it at that level. So we got about a minute left, sir. And I want to ask you, you know, being a neurosurgeon, I know how you all think, you know, you're looking at this and you're <laughs> you're going to figure out a way to uh, dissect this problem. Look at the long term versus the short term, what you can actually fix. And then overall. Uh, what the long-term cause and effect of each step that you take when you go into the brain. What do you see now as you look at this homeless problem? Is there a solution? The president gets reelected. You're still there. Is there a way that we can bring down these numbers even more, or is it going to be a constant battle with these liberal cities that keep it going up? Uh, Well, the president and I was just talking about this a few hours ago. And, um, no, we are going to get it done. And I don't want it to be a battle between the federal government and the and the cities. I think when we sit down and we actually discuss it and we agree to use evidence as opposed to ideology, that's where the progress will be made. And, and we've had those conversations with a number of mayors in the liberal cities, and I think we're making very good progress. I think you're going to see some good things happen. That's the thing. Progress and the problem, they come down to ideology quite often, uh, whether you can let it go or you can work around it. That's uh, that's usually the problem right there. And whether whether you can use real evidence, facts and data yes. to make your policy decisions. Secretary Ben Carson of the Department of Housing and Urban Development, uh, my favorite uh, politician out there. Everybody loves you, sir. Thank you and keep doing what Hello, you're doing. Thank you. You got it. Hello. This is Jonathan Gillum filling in for my good buddy, Sean Hannity, on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, close the show up. I want you to have a Merry Christmas, so you better start sharp shopping right now if you haven't already. Go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival, and The Adventures of Team Little Bigs. We'll be right back. This is John the Gillum closing up the show today. I want to make two corrections. It's Women for America First. If you want to look them up, go check them out. And TalkingGuns.net, but you can also find them at Talking Guns on all the social media. Listen, I keep talking about these books. Go get them. Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. It will help you do the threat assessments. Understand how bad guys look at you so that you can make your defenses better. And The Adventures of Team Little Bigs, a parent's book for children. It's going to come with lesson plans for each picture. You hand the book to the kid. The child looks at the pictures, and it's got lessons embedded in the pictures, and you download the lesson plans on your phone. You can order it now. And then the website's going to be up here in a couple of days. You can download a picture, give it to the child. They'll know it's coming. And in April, it all comes out and you can start making your family safer again and greater again. I hope you take all the lessons that we taught you today to heart. Go out there, make something of yourself. Have a Merry Christmas. Remember, Jesus died for your sins and the founding fathers created this country so that you could be free. God bless.